Well, we are starting a new series this morning called Vintage Faith. Um, and uh, so we got, this month will be Vintage Faith, and then next month I get really excited about, it is our, well, I could say our collectively and me personally, one of my favorite series. It's our At The Movies series where we use uh, movies to help preach the message. Uh, That means free soda and popcorn for everybody. I mean, listen, when you come to church and you get free snacks, it's a good day, okay? Um, And and the sad part is if somebody comes new during that uh, season, they think that's the norm, and then we sadly disappoint them in November when there's no more sodas or popcorn. So uh, appreciate it, sir. And uh, so that, and then we get into November, and can we believe that we're already talking Thanksgiving and Christmas? Yikes. Um, I just feel like every time we get to September and October, I already feel like I'm behind the eight ball. Uh, but my wife is already ahead of the eight ball. If you drive by our house, we've got pumpkins and all sorts of stuff hanging out. And uh, how many are early decorators for hol- uh, for for? Uh, holidays. Any, any early? Yeah. See, I, my wife, I know, has a, a, a friend in April always um, because they are like two peas in a pod. But um, but she is like, so October rolls around, October 31st, November 1st, half of our house starts to become Christmas. We, we, even though we host Thanksgiving, we skip it and go straight to trees and, and, and the holidays. So so she starts decorating in August uh, for Halloween. Um, it's just the way it is. I feel like we're right in line with Walmart, okay? So, uh, you know, Christmas will end. We'll start throwing up pink stuff for Valentine's Day, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but thinking about this series in September or, or that we're starting this morning, uh, and I was thinking about what I like titling things. It kind of helps me progress through my thought process for the month. And I was really struggling with the, the series title and then how I was going to break it up each week and whatever. And I was scrolling through one of my ministry websites that helps me with uh, visuals and stuff. And uh, I saw this cool picture of a couple of old trucks, right? And it said Vintage Faith. And I was like, ooh, I like that right? And it made me start thinking about vintage, the word vintage. And, and we all know that there's, you know, old stuff becomes new, right? And um, some things that are old just need to stay there. Hello, 70 shag rugs, right? Okay. Unless you like that. Listen, now some of you, if you get disappointed, I'm sorry, but you could lose a child in those things, okay? Um, so, so, you know, those kind of things. Uh, but some things, when we call them vintage, they're like legit vintage. And when I think of vintage, I think of things that are old that are still valuable, that still that people still like to look at or collect or or have around. You know, nobody's looking for a vintage uh, Ford Fiesta or you know, like nobody's looking for those things. Uh, a, maybe a Rambler. I, you know, those you know, those weird you know '70s. They tried to be a hot rod, but they were like miniature and they didn't know what they were doing. '70s Mustangs. Okay, '70s Mustangs were like the, some of the worst years in the Mustang line. It's like somebody got a really bad idea. Okay, '60s were good. '80s came out with the 5.0. Listen, '70s they just they just didn't know what they were doing. Okay, and so we have these things that are vintage that we love to have around, and it made me think about faith. It made me think about church. You know, when we talk about vintage, my question becomes: What is your view of God? Because that's a pretty old thing right? God's been around from the beginning, in the beginning, right? And so he's been around for a while. But what's our view on God? What have you been told about God's relationship with humans? Or what things have you heard negatively about God in relationship with humans? It's interesting when you start to have conversation with people and just ask simple questions. What's your view of God? It's interesting what will come out of their mouth. 
from, from the good to the bad, you'll be shocked by everybody has this thought process. And whether they name God as the God that we serve or some other uh, religious God, everybody has a viewpoint of God. And so it's, I, I love just asking that question. What is your viewpoint of God? What, what do you think of him? What, what, are you, what is your idea of God? What do you really believe? And, and, I, and I sat down and I was thinking about this. What do you want to believe? Isn't that an interesting question? What do you want to believe? Because how many know that a lot of us will create a variation of Christianity and of God that suits our needs because it's comfortable, because it's convenient, and, and or we've adopted thoughts and, and, and things that people have said, and they sound good, right? You know, when, when people talk about, well, God is love, so God loves everybody, and because God loves everybody, then he accepts everybody just as they are. Listen, that sounds wonderful, right? I mean, nobody would deny that that sounds like a euphoric place to live in, where God just is accepting of all things. But that would fall, that would, that would be in, in the face of what God's word says of his holiness and what justice looks like. That if God loved everybody just the way they are, why would Jesus need to come to the cross? If there was no sin, if there was, if, if humanity did not have something inside of them that God needed to help uh, get out of our lives and get us away from, then why would Jesus need to go to the cross if God is love and accepts everybody? But people create these variations of God that just, they, they, they sound good and they sound comforting. I mean, some of the worst things that, that I think of is when you go to funerals, right? And I'll try to, you know, be as nice because I'm not trying to disrespect any any of the dead or anything like that. But the reality is, the Bible says that not everybody's getting into heaven. I mean, that's, like, that's just a reality because of humanity, because of sin nature. But yet we go to funerals and we, we, what do we say? Because we want the comfort, they're in a better place. No matter what the kind of lifestyle they lived. Can we not take a somber thought, and, and I'm not saying this about any of your family members or friends or anything, I'm just saying that, that there's a reality that there's many funerals that we have gone to that they probably didn't make it to heaven. That's a sombering thought. That we're not doing the world justice by giving them a fake variation of faith that says, do whatever you want. When you get to the end, God's gonna be okay with it. But, but a reality that, that, hey, listen, God is holy and he is loving and he is caring. And he has compassion and grace and mercy all throughout the Bible. But he is also just and holy and has standards that are not our own. And so we've got to live in a place where we don't have modern faith, but we have vintage faith. We have faith that has stood the, 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 the my words are today, Junior. I can make fun of myself. It's okay. Um. Where, where we stand the test of time. You know, I'm used to hearing things about church. I've, uh, it feels weird to be in the age that I am because I'm 40. Um, some would say that I'm pushing the older side of, of life, whatever that means. Um, I still feel, uh, like George Strait says, uh, I still feel 25 most of the time, um, you know. But, you know, my head and my heart and my spirit have this battle of what this looks like because I've been in the church world now for over 20 years doing leadership, doing ministry, being a pastor. 
I was a full-time pastor at 21 years old. I was a licensed pastor at 19 years old. Um, and so, so I've been doing this for a very, very long time. And I remember when I first started going to church, I would hear the, the, the elders, the, the older people in the church say, well, back in my day, church was... And I just pause and think about that because you have probably all, if, you, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you have heard that. Well, back in my day, church used to be. And typically what happens is there's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be disparaging what is going on in the church today and longing for what they consider the holiness of their day, right? Or they, it, it will be somewhere along that line of saying, you know, that uh, back in my day, there was, you know, and it's, and it's typically there was a respect, there was a holiness, there was a reverence for God. And I'm not saying that there wasn't. But what I'm saying is, is that so many times we look back in the rearview mirror and we have a disproportionate view of what God is doing in the church today. It's not that, and, and listen, I want you to hear this. I, it's not me disparaging church history because I love church history. I love it. I, I love reading about these old preachers like Charles Finney and Smith Wigglesworth. These, these guys were amazing. If you don't know who Smith Wigglesworth is, he'll blow your mind when you read about his life. Smith Wigglesworth, uh, when his wife died, he was not ready for his wife to be dead. <laughs> so what does he do? He goes in and he kicks everybody out of the room and he just prays over his wife. This, is, this isn't like made up. This is like there's people in the room that could attest to this. You know, right? He goes and he prays over his wife and his wife comes back to life and they sit there and they talk for another three hours and she says, I've got to go, it's my time. <laughs> and then she dies again. That's the power that's, that somebody like Smith Wigglesworth, like that, that is vintage faith. That is the type of faith that we need to preach in the church and we need to express in the church. So it's not that I'm disparaging church history or the way that church was, but I think that there's a time where we have to go, are we longing for what's comfortable? Or are we longing for what's authentic? Those are two different things. I remember when uh, I had one guy tell me once that modern worship uh, really wasn't all that godly. I've had this conversation with many people about worship because I love it so much. They said that, you know, they're trying to be too cool and too hip and this and that, and, and maybe to a, a level they are, but, uh, but I then reminded him, I said, well, because I love church history, I said, well, where did the hymns that you love come from? Well, they're sacred and holy. That's not what I asked. Where did they come from? Well, I don't know. I said they came from Irish bars and Scottish bars and European bars. They took bar tunes and put holy words to them. Because, check this, this is what I love about uh, culture, is culture really isn't different. Like, we think, you know, oh, it's so different nowadays. No, it's not. It's, it's all the same. Because the church was losing people to the bars. And so the church said, what can we do to gain them back? Because we know we have something authentic. We know we have something real. We know we have something purposeful for them. But they're being lost in a culture that we're not providing for them. Not a substance, a culture. And they said, what can we do to win them back to a biblical foundation in their life? And so they said, well, everybody seems to love these bar tunes. So they started to put godly words to the same style as bar tunes people started to come back. 
And so then we, you know, then, then if you've been old enough to know, like when uh, before it was just an organ and a piano, and that was majority of churches. It didn't matter if you were Baptist, non-denominational, Lutheran, it didn't matter. It was an a organ and a piano. That was how you reached God's throne, <laughs> right? Despite what the Bible said with cymbals and lyres and stringed instruments and all that other stuff, forget that. It was, a, it was an organ and a piano. And then people decided to get a drummer involved, and hell broke loose in the church, <laughs> and electric guitars, and, and, and like, next thing you know, there was hippies with no shoes on, and it, 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 the church went to hell in a handbasket. And people, listen, people got freaked out. They, they, read your church history. Go back to the 70s and the Jesus movement and the Jesus people uh, movement. It, you know, it, go watch the movie if you, if you don't want to research about it, because they did a pretty good job of representing it. But, you know, growing up in my faith in California, I got to meet people that were a part of the movement. And they're like, yeah, it's just like that. And the church people that were so bent on culture and religiosity over passionate for passion for people were offended that people would walk into church with no shoes on. Were offended that people would walk into church not in their best dressed, with a suit and tie and a nice dress. Bo behold that, that they wanted more Jesus. That didn't matter. Sounds like the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the book of, like I said, nothing is new. It just gets replayed in a different day and age. And so my, my, my goal in this series is that we point back to a faith that is foundational throughout the Bible that points us to how to live in this day and age, in this culture. The goal is not to be religious with the purpose of the church, but it's to be authentic and real to keep our relationship with God purposeful, powerful, and not political and pompous. That's what the Pharisees were really good at. They'd tell you what was right, and then they would create a variation of what they thought it looked like. People didn't like it. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take us through one main point. And this one main point is this. This one core truth of faith is this. God wants a relationship with you. Amen? We can make church and we can make Christianity about a lot of things. But if at the core of it, if we don't point back to the fact that God wants a relationship with you as an individual, then we have completely missed the point of, of why we want people to come to church in the first place. I don't, I don't want to fill up this place so that I can pat myself on the back. If that was the case, I wouldn't have moved to Camden. I've said that over and over again. If, it, if the goal, listen, if the goal was to build a big church then you do it like all the other church plants do and you move to places like Miami or Dallas or New York or you know, something with more than 10,000 people in the, in, the, in the community. But the reality is, is that God's word and God's message needs to get out everywhere. And so although it may not be convenient for me, although it may not be comfortable for, for me when God says, hey, pick up and move to Camden, when I told him, God, whatever you want me to do, then I've got to be okay with whatever means. I can't say, God, I'm, I'm down with whatever as long as it looks like this, as long as it fits my checklist, as long as it makes me feel good and, 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 and I can do X, Y, Z, as long as, and God says, well, wait a minute, that is not my biblical will for you. The reality is, is that the core, from Genesis to Revelation, the core message is God wants to be in relationship with you. Adam, 
was the first human ever created by God. And I love how it describes Adam being created because it says that God made animals, plants, oceans, fishes, birds, all that good stuff. And then it says it gets to humanity, and it says that he formed Adam out of the dirt and then breathed his breath into him. He, he literally spoke from God's mouth out of that into the first person of humanity. He created Adam. And it says that he created Eve because it wasn't good that Adam was alone and he needed a helper. So he created Eve out of Adam. But there's something that kind of gets amissed in the Genesis story because uh, we don't realize why Adam was created. Why was Adam created? God had all the angels in the world to worship him. He had just created a beautiful world, created all these beautiful creatures. He could have sat in the garden by himself, him, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, having a great time just looking at all of creation. But it says that he created Adam, what? In their image, a.k.a. the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from the beginning says, created, created Adam in their image. We are the physical image of a spiritual God. And he created us so that he could spend time with us. Isn't, doesn't that amaze you? Doesn't that like make you feel good? Like you're not an accident. The Bible says that he knew you before you were in your mother's womb. He formed you. He has a personal and a personal desire to have a relationship with you, not just to be the God of a religion that you serve. If you don't believe me, look at Genesis 3.8. It says this, when the cool evening breezes were blowing. I want to be wherever that is. <laughs> the man, Adam, and his wife, Eve, heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. Now, I want to stop there because the next sentence, it just kind of takes it into left field, right? Because it says, and they hid. But um, because they had allowed sin, they ate the fruit, all that good stuff, right? Um, but if you just stop right there, you understand something that we probably normally pass by because of the next sentence. It was God's common standard to come down in the evening time and walk with Adam and Eve. How cool is that? That God came down in a physical nature and he would come in the cool breeze of the evening and he would walk his creation with his creation because he wanted to know them personally. In the beginning, God wanted a relationship with humanity that was close, that was personal, that was purposeful. And sin stopped that relationship. Sin cut a, a, uh, a, a line in the sand and uh, didn't allow God to have the kind of relationship he created us for because he created us with free will. Why would he create Adam and Eve to be just like the angels? He already had them. He created them with the choice. He told them, don't eat that. The enemy lies to him, and he gets him to eat that, and they made a choice, which made a line in the sand between God and his creation and the relationship he wanted. Adam and Eve brought sin and death into the mix and caused separation with God. God didn't do that. How many have ever started a sentence with, why would God, right, dot, dot, dot? Why would God do that? Why would God allow that? Why would God? God 
isn't this guy that is just up there going, let's see how much they can handle. I'm just going to torment them till they can't take it no more. On the opposite, God is up there. He's, he's a loving and compassionate God who is just in his, uh, in his righteousness and mercy. And so he says, I want the best for you. But if you're going to struggle and if you're going to go through sin uh, in, your, in your life, then there's a separation that you are creating, not me. God wants to have a personal relationship. God wants to walk with you through your life. All throughout the Old Testament, we see God trying to have a relationship with his people. And, and I think here's the interesting part about the Old Testament is that we think, you know, well, God was separated from his people for the whole Old Testament. Like, they, it, we were waiting for Jesus to show up on the scene to die for our sins so that we could have a right relationship with him. That's really not the reality. When you look at the Old Testament over and over and over again, God is giving them opportunity to have a real personal relationship with him. And they constantly say no. Uh, if you don't believe me, you look at Moses and, um, and the Jewish people in, De in Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy 5, 4 through 5 says this. At the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face. This is Moses telling the Jewish people. So they gathered all the Jewish people out on the mountain, Mount Sinai. And Moses tells them, God wants to speak to you. And it says, Moses spoke to them face, or God spoke to them face to face from the heart of the fire. And he's, and he's telling them, he goes, I stood as an uh, intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. He spoke to me and I passed his words on to you. This is what it said. And then he goes into the Ten Commandments and all that again. Here's what Moses is saying. God wanted to have a real relationship with you and you got scared because his holiness caused a reverence in you that you didn't know how to deal with. So instead of asking for him to break that part of you and to draw you closer, you ran. It says that the, this is what they told Moses. They said, Moses, you go and speak to God. And then you come back and tell us what he said. But God wanted to speak to them. It says he spoke to them face to face. Very few times in the Bible does God speak face to face with anybody. Matter of fact, God tells Moses not much before that on the mountain when he's giving him the Ten Commands. He says, nobody can see my face and live. That's why he hid it in the fire with the Jewish people. And with Moses, he hit him in the rock and he ran and he, and he only got to see the backside and that made him shine for 40 days. God is always longing to have a personal relationship with you. We see it with David in the ark when, when he brings the ark back to, uh, the, to Jerusalem. I love it because they, they, they carry the ark. Ark is the manifestation of the presence of God for the Jewish people. And so they would carry it and they had to carry it a certain way. The ark was falling and somebody thought that they were doing the right thing to, you know, to grab the ark and it killed them on the spot because there's a holiness and a reverence that we cannot mistake within church life and, and, and following Jesus. So David sets it there. He's like, we're not moving this thing. Mm -mm. Nobody else is dying on my watch. And the family where they said it was blessed and, and, and became like, it was just like God's blessings were all the time over that household because God's presence sat there. There's something to say about the presence of God sitting at your house. Amen. There's a blessing. It doesn't mean, once again, I want you to get out of this monetary idea, this blessing that God's favor, his, his purpose, kids being raised in, in, in homes that know who Jesus is and, and knowing how to, to understand right from wrong, how to pray through circumstances, how, how to see their parents work through difficult times. 
there's a blessing that follows that. And then David goes back and he studies the ark and then he comes back with the priest and they carry it. And that's when he dances indignantly in, in front of all of the Jewish people. And it says that he was, you know, dancing his clothes off. Okay. He was the first TikTok star. Um, and, and so he was dancing his clothes off and his wife, uh, you know, screamed from the balcony, you ugly. Um, and, and this, she was like, you're, you're, you shouldn't be doing that. Now he wasn't naked. Okay. I know we, we get this idea that David was like running around the streets naked. Kings wore many robes, many layers. And it said, and, and they would never, ever, ever, ever dance out of their kingly garb. That's what he did. He was dancing. He, he had danced out of his, his, his king robe that, that designated him special and in authority. He said, you haven't seen nothing when I get into the presence of God. The coolest part about David's uh, tabernacle is this, is that it's the only time in the Old Testament where everybody could see God's presence. If you go and you study Exodus and Leviticus and, and all of that, it gives very, very, very detailed of what the uh, sanctuary should look like for the Old Testament when they would carry the, uh, the tabernacle with them. And, the, uh, and they would have different layers and it would end with the Holy of Holies where once a year the highest of priests would go in and make the sacrifice. David's tabernacle is the only tabernacle in the Old Testament where all the sides were rolled up. And the Ark of the Covenant was set in there for all to see. And worshipers were worshiping 24-7 on rotation. Worshiping God. You could hear the sweet sounds of worship at any given time. He could walk out on the, on the, the balcony of, the, of his kingdom and he could hear the worship of God. And you could see in and see the very presence of God. That should not have taken place by Old Testament standards. Why? Because God has always been wanting to have relationship with his people. And I want you to leave today knowing that God isn't about just making you go through the motions, making you go through the religious thought process, but God actually cares about you and wants to have a relationship with you. Throughout history, God's heart was to have a relationship with you. Sin separates us until Christ. And when Christ took our sin and shame and he reconnected the dots uh, from Adam when he had separated with God, God sent his son, Jesus, so that he could reconnect the relationship. If you don't uh, believe me, look at Romans 8, 1 through 4. And I love the way it starts out. So now there is no condemnation. Amen? Amen. There we go. I mean, unless you want to be condemned. I guess if you want to be condemned, don't say amen. Like, sit in, <laughs> sit in your condemnation. Like, like, it's like we sometimes think in church, like, well, that just feels too good to be true. No, it's not. So, therefore, in Christ, there's no condemnation. For those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we meet the merits of the law? No. Because if it was the merits of the law, we'd all be lost. We would all be sinful. Romans also says that we have all fall short of the glory of God. But Christ comes and he, and he sacrifices perfection for our sin. And the only reason for that is so that God can have a relationship with his creation again. 
you have a child, think about that. Would you sacrifice them for all of humanity so that you could have a relationship with them? Some of you wouldn't even would be willing to sacrifice lunch for the sake of humanity. <laughs> like, if, if more people die, there's less people I have to talk to. Like, you know, some of you are, you know, and, and I get it. Some people are not peopley people. I understand. I am. I love people, okay? But God sent Jesus when he didn't have to because he cared for you. It's not an ego trip. God's not like, well, I need more people in heaven. Makes me look cool. No. He's like, I created them. It's the only creation I breathed my life into, and I want to see that have its purpose and fulfill the things that I have for them. I I want them to know that they don't just have to walk through life always struggling and always trying to figure it out on their own. Like, I have a purpose and a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, verse 12 and 13 says, if they will seek me. So these blessings and these promises of God aren't just just fragrantly thrown out, it's we have a part to play, and a part of it is is seeking him. Because Jesus died on a cross, I have a connection with God that I would not have had if Jesus didn't come because we would have had to be following the law. You get the questions that, you know, well, then is the law important? Is the Old Testament important? Absolutely, because he doesn't say he came to abolish the law. He says he came to fulfill what the law couldn't do. So no longer am I bound to all the rules and regulations, but I'm bound to the spirit of the law of the Old Testament. Christ came so that we were no longer condemned. So what do we do with this relationship? What do we do with this relationship that God wants us to have? What a, what a simple truth, right? I think sometimes we, we, we go to church or we go to these conferences and we're like, I need something new and fresh. And God's like, I've got a foundational truth that is for each and every one of you. And it hasn't changed since the beginning of time. It's that I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. That's it. And if you follow me, you're going to find the best variation of the life that you possibly could have. Not perfect. Not that you won't have struggles. But you will have a relationship with the one who created everything. So what do we do with this relationship with God? I believe that every great relationship has a few things. And the first one is it's a two-way street. Think about that. Every great relationship you have is a two-way street. If it wasn't, it's not a good relationship, and you eventually cut them out, or they cut you out, depending on who's one-sided, right? And then we get to God, and we think, well, it's a one-way street. He'll tell me how to live, and, and that's just how it is. He came down in the cool of the evening, and he walked with Adam. I wonder what those conversations were like. Does anybody else think like that? Like, anybody think, what, would, like, what did Adam and God talk about when they walked in the garden? You know, hey, how was, how, how was your day? Did you play anything interesting and unique? Hey, God, how was heaven during the day? Is it better than this place? Like, you know, like what does that look like? You know, when, when, when God came and swooped Elijah up in the chariot of fire, like, what did that, like, need a ride? Like, you know, like, I just, I think about these things. They're just weird things. But, but this is what, it's a two-way street. Prayer is not a one-sided conversation. It's, it's a two-way street. It's not just you bringing your list to God and going, okay, here's my daily list, God, because I need to spend some time with you. Amen. It would be like picking up the phone and having a conversation with your best friend. No. Yes. 
It's just being relaxed enough to realize that God wants to, he already knows your thoughts. The Bible says that. He knows everything you're thinking, which should scare some of us, okay? It really should. I mean, it scares me half the time. Like, oh God, you're in my head and you know how crazy it can be. He already knows, so why does he want us to speak it? Because he wants to have a relationship with you. It's not that he doesn't already know. He already knows the good thoughts you have. He already knows the bad thoughts you have. He knows when somebody gets on your nerve and you've got the little picture of a little knife and you're running around. He's already seen that and he still loves you. That should like ease your comfort about who God is. It's not that he's accepted it, but he's like, okay, let's, let's deal with this. Let's, let's talk about this. Well, how's your day? Well, and then we try, to, we try to get religious with God. Oh, it's been a good day, God. He's like, liar. <laughs> I know your thoughts. I know what you went through. I know you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, so you chewed your spouse out, and they didn't do anything wrong. I'm not looking at anybody. Listen, I know y'all are all perfect, and you love Jesus, and you do everything right. You probably wake up like Snow White, cook breakfast, and make coffee. It's, you know, listen. Stop pointing fingers. I see some of you looking at each other sideways. It's a two-way street. So when you read your word, if you don't get it, maybe it's you're not stopping and pausing and asking God to reveal truth to you. Maybe when you're praying, maybe you're just going through a checklist instead of actually having a conversation. When you're worshiping, maybe it's that you're just singing songs, singing words, and you're not actually allowing your heart to have a posture of worship, which means that I am sacrificing and submitting my life to you. It's a two-way street. And then, here's the greatest part. I love Psalms 46.10. Be still and know. Be still. Some of y'all need to hear this. Be still. It's okay not to move. It's okay to sit in silence. I know, that just freaked half of you out right now. Silence? Do you know what goes on in silence? Yes, I do. You think. And I know that, that, listen, why do you think night times typically tend to freak people out? Or let, let me, and, and I can tell you from a professional standpoint, why a lot of people end up calling uh, depression and suicide hotlines in the evening time. One, it's because they stayed up longer than they should. Okay. Because nighttime typically breeds a weakness in your mind and your spirit. There's a whole spiritual uh, conversation there. But two, it's that we have nobody else to communicate with, and so our brain starts to replay typically all the bad things, all the things that we don't like about ourselves. If we don't invite God in to speak his truth over us and have relationship with us, then the enemy gets to speak all the lies. So we've got to find a place where we have a two-way street with God, and it's being still and saying, God, I need you to speak over me your truth. I need you to speak your will into my life. It's a two-way street. Every great relationship also has commitment. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. Either way, Christ's love controls us. <laughs> Either way, no matter what happens, Christ's love controls us. I am committing to the will of God no matter what. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive in his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. They will live for Christ. There is a commitment to die to self, flesh and sin, and live in Christ. And here's the thing. So many of us have made a commitment to go to church, but we have not made a commitment to follow him wholly. 
And I'm telling you, if I can encourage you and challenge you at the same time, if you would submit your life to him and say, God, no matter what, I'm going to follow you. I promise you the commitment you make to God is greater than any commitment you'll make to anything else in your life. So it's a two-way street. There's commitment to follow and to be a part of each other's life. And then there's loyalty. How many love loyalty? We like loyal people, right? I was like, let me ask the other question. How many like unloyal people? <laughs> How many love people that just run your name through the mud who act all smiley face to you and then go talk about you behind your back? Oh, we all love them people. We, we love loyalty. It's why dogs make better pets than cats. I said what I said. Fight, fight me later, it's okay. But I've got the mic right now, okay? Just like the enemy was a serpent, I'm pretty sure his, next, his right-hand man was a cat, okay? Um, <laughs> so some people are going, I'm leaving this church. Um, uh, but listen, a dog, listen, you can walk. Tell me I'm wrong. You can walk out of the room, a dog will sit there, and when you come back, he's like, oh, I love you, and you are my friend. A cat, you walk out, and never even knew you left. Only time he cares about is, hey, there's not food here. You haven't changed my litter box. You are not the master of the cat. It's the other way around. The dog understands its place. He's loyal. And whether you walk away for an hour or a minute, if I leave my room for a minute and come back, my dogs are just as happy as if I left for a day. Only thing a cat has ever tried to do is kill me. Therefore, they're evil. Um, all right, so we like loyalty. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 3 through 6. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Amen? Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. This is God's word speaking to you how, how fantastic loyalty and kindness is, that they should never leave us, and we should write them into our hearts. Then you will find favor with who? With both God and humanity. And you will earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. What? Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. God's promise that if you're loyal to him, he will be loyal to you. This was a two-way street scripture. If you will seek me, I will provide the path. If you tie loyalty and kindness to your heart, you'll not only find favor with me, but you'll also find it with humanity. Loyalty creates trust. Trust produces freedom. Freedom produces actions. I love the prayer of David. After, listen, after he had sinned, after he had gone and, and seen Bathsheba naked on the roof, said, I must have her, took her, made a baby with her, killed her husband. There's a lot of bad things that happened in that one little story. After that... David prays this prayer in, in Psalms 51.10. And he tells God, create in me a clean heart. Renew what a loyal spirit within me. You know, it was after this that, that God called David a man after his own heart. How? David had sinned. He'd, he'd, he'd had adultery, infidelity. He was manipulative and he murdered and it was after all of that that God says, David is a man after my own heart. And if we don't see grace in the Old Testament, we are not reading the same Bible. Because God sees David and he hears his prayer and he knows David saying, I've screwed up, God. 
I allowed my ability to do whatever I want in, in the human world to corrupt me from the man that you have created me in the beginning. So created me a new and pure heart and renew a loyal spirit within me. I believe some of us need to pray that prayer this morning because a loyal spirit relationship creates committed, caring, and protective hearts, minds, and spirits. God wants you to be loyal to him so that he can produce in you. Two more things that I believe that a relationship, good, great relationships have is great relationships grow stronger in the struggle. Think about the people that you are bonded to. You probably walked through something together. You probably walked through something really tough together. And you didn't abandon each other. You didn't, you didn't say, well, it's too difficult. It's too tough. But you stuck it out and you, and you fought for it. And it created an unbreakable bond between two people or three people or a group of people, whoever it may be, that you knew that at that point, no matter what I walk through, I will have people that have my back. That is why life groups are so important to us. It's because I believe that it produces in us natural ways to connect with people to do life together. It's not because we want to fill your time just for the sake of filling your time. It's we want to give you a community to be a part of that you will build trust and go through life with. And whether it's at a women's Bible study or whether it's at fantasy football, where you can walk in and say, I've had a really crappy day. And, and the godliness of the group will say, let's pray for you. Let's have your back. Hey, man, what are you struggling with? That's what, that's what community does. And good relationships build through the tough times, not tear down in them. And so we grow stronger in the struggle with relationship. And so we do with God as well. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? This is not what God says in Psalm 23. That, that David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and staff, your presence is with me. He says, you, here's, here's the uniqueness of that scripture. It says, you prepared a table for my enemies. God prepared a table for your enemies in your presence. God is allowing and sometimes creating circumstances for you to grow in your struggle with people. But God's all love and, and, and flowers and fields. And no, sometimes he's got to get the best out of you by making you walk through tough situations. And showing you who you need to walk through those situations. That you can't do it alone. You weren't designed to do it alone. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, you walk alone in this. It says, no, you need people that know me and love me. And you need me in your life to be able to walk through life. You can't do it alone. Matter of fact, the very thing that you think that you can do on your own is the very thing that will kill your spirit. Good relationships grow in the struggle. Paul says, I've been made strong in, his, in my weakness. And the Old Testament says a three-strand cord is not easily broken. These, all these scriptures speak to the fact that you find with a relationship is made when it is put to the test and held to the fire. And you will only find how real and authentic your relationship is with God when you walk through hard seasons. You will only know how strong and how deep and how real your relationship with God is when you walk through the tough times. 
We grow strong in our struggle in a good relationship. The last thing, and Hannah, you can come up. Good relationships produce action and attitudes. They produce actions and attitudes. When, when I read through the Bible and I read about stories of people that have befriended each other, they're really cool stories of how seemingly two people that shouldn't be friends become friends and then they do life together and how they protect and how they uh, challenge and how they walk through life together to get the best out of it. Jonathan and David should not have been friends. If you don't know the story of Jonathan and David, it's simply that Jonathan was the son of the king, King Saul, the very king that God said was not fit to run, and so he sent Samuel to go find David. Do you think David and Jonathan should have been friends? Probably not. Because here's what David was doing, taking the kingship from Jonathan. Think about that for a minute. Jonathan knew that by, by proxy of his dad being the king, he was heir to the throne. And David shows up on the scene. Samuel says, sorry, Jonathan. You're not going to be king. Your dad's not a very good king. So you can't be king next. Because God said, go and find David, who's going to be king. Jonathan should have hated David. But see, what happened in the relationship was they walked through some things together. And Jonathan found the heart of David and knew, I want to be attached to that. I, I want to walk through life with him. Matter of fact, uh, I was reading uh, the story where, where King Saul was going to kill David and Jonathan tells David, he could have had the throne. Jonathan goes to David and says, mm -mm, don't show up at the party. You'll die. I'll miss you, but I need you to hang out here. And I'm going to test my dad to see what's going to happen. And then when he, when he tells me or when I find out, I'm going to come back to you where you're hiding. And then I'm going to tell you to get out of here. Good relationships produce action and attitude. Good friends have each other's back. And they will go to the ends of the earth for one another to make sure that the best in their lives happen. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't always have to come out on the, 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 the better side of the end. If, 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 if I care about somebody and I know that it's going to better them, then I should make sure that our friendship is strong enough to go, I'll play second fiddle to you. I don't need my name in the lights today. I don't need to be the one who gets the attention because this is your time to shine and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to champion that. You see it in Naomi and Ruth as well. You see it in Elijah and Elijah. You see it in Jesus and the disciples. All throughout the, the Bible, you see relationships that produced action and great attitude. Great friendships produce actions that are always focused on defending each other and promoting each other. Great relationships will defend to a fault and champion one another. And when we talk about God, God wants to bless you. His word speaks of it all over the place. His blessing is found in the living for him the championing your relationship with him and helping others find it. I love Romans 6.11. It says this, So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. Why? And alive to God through Christ Jesus. 
your relationship with God produces life. What, what better can you ask for a relationship? You don't have to walk through life questioning and wondering, and how am I going to get through this? How, how am I going to get through this day? How am I going to get through the struggle? How am I going to get through the circumstance? Because the God that created you, that spoke life into existence, is saying, I've got you because I produce life in this relationship. Come to me. You seek me. But let me tell you this. You are the only one who determines how strong or weak your relationship with God is. Maybe you've never been told that. Because we like scriptures in Romans where it says, nor heights, nor depths, nor spiritualities, and this and that can hold you from the love of God. But in that list, there's something that's not named. You. It says nothing outside of the control of you and God can steal the love of God from you. But you can walk away. And maybe that blows your whole theology. But I'm telling you, Go back and look at that scripture in Romans and you'll, you'll see that it's, it's all about external ex- things that cannot steal the love of God from you. But your choice to have a relationship with God is your choice. So you can't come to church and go, well, pastor, I just don't feel God. When people ask me that, when people, I love this, and I'll end, I'll end with this thought because I think it'll be encouraging, hopefully, to you in this. When people go, Pastor, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not feeling God. I have two questions for you typically when that happens. So if you ever have that unction to ask me, ask these two questions before you come to me. How's your prayer life? How's your devotion life? I don't have any magic potion, wand, or powder to sprinkle on you. I can't make your relationship stronger. I can pray for you. If I pray to the same God that you do, why wouldn't you just get in your prayer closet and spend some time with God and say, God, I'm not leaving here until something changes? That takes time. I just, I just want you to pray for me, Pastor. I know it takes time. Anything worth doing takes time. Those that got a degree in something, you got a degree. Why? Because you were willing to take the time. Those that get paid good money to do something, it's why? Because you, got, you were willing to take the time. Those that are good at a, 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 a instrument or a sport or something, you're good. Why? Because you are willing to take the time. And then we get to God and we're like, I just want it now. I want him to do something now. And, and God's going, no, no, no. Got to take the time. If you're not feeling him, if, you're not, if, you feel like, if you feel distant from him, maybe it's because you're distant in the ways that you're supposed to be connected to him. Prayer, word, worship, fasting. Like any good relationship, it takes two. And God's there. So the question becomes, your relationship with God will only be as strong or as weak as you want it to be. And that should be an encouraging statement because that means you hold the power. You hold the power. The enemy doesn't hold the power. Circumstances don't hold the power. Your job doesn't hold the power. Your, your kids don't hold the power. I get it. Listen, I've got two kids. I understand. I know that days get busy. Lock yourself in the bathroom for five minutes. They won't kill each other. They may get close, but they won't kill each other. I 
I was speaking at a, a camp one year, and I pulled a bunch of the pastors up there for the morning session. And we talked about our daily devotion life. And teenagers, they think pastors, oh, they probably have the best devotion life ever. They probably pray like five hours a day. My good friend, Sharina, she has uh, two or three kids now, her and Jimmy. And I asked Sharina, I said, Sharina, how's your, how's your devotion life? And she's like, sometimes I lock, this is where I got the idea. Sometimes I lock myself in the bathroom for 10 minutes. And I sit on the toilet with my devotion. And I see the little hands underneath trying to get to me. (laughs) But I still away just as, as whatever I can because God is important. Does it mean that 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 you're you're gonna have you're not gonna have seasons where you have the Bible spread out over your table and you've got two hours to just bask in his presence? Maybe all you've got is five minutes. Take it. If it's important, you'll do it. And if it's important and all you got is five minutes, I, here's what I will promise. God will show up. God will show up. He'll take your five minutes and he'll take your five hours the same. So don't let the enemy tell you, oh, God's not there. God doesn't care. God's, God's, God's va- distant from you. No, he's waiting for you. He created you to have a relationship with you. Will you pray with me? I hope what you heard this morning was this. God loves you. He loves you so much that he created you different than any other thing that he created. He wants to have a relationship with you. From Adam and Eve all the way to the end of the earth. God's only desire was drawing humanity's heart back to him. And that includes you. And so, God, I pray that no matter where we're at in our faith walk, with so many different variations in this room, that, God, that we would do what we can in our life. God, whether it's five minutes, 50 minutes, a couple hours, 20 minutes. Maybe it's listening to podcasts to and from work just to get the word into us. Maybe all we've got some days is to throw on a worship song while we're doing the laundry. Father, that we would put in the effort and the work to build a great relationship with you. All the promises and the blessings, they fall in line when we fall at your feet. We submit to your will. So I pray that for each and every person in this room that this week we would take some time to just refocus the questions, how is my relationship with God and what do I need to do to make it better, to make my relationship with him stronger? Father, I pray that you would sow that thought on our brains that in the still quiet times we would come back to it and that we would go out to this world and we would show them the love of God, the God that wants to have a relationship with them. I love you, Jesus. We thank you and give you glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen.